Now we're um, we're sort of we're in chapter five of the um, Orthodox Catechism. Uh, these chapters are, are broken up, but these chapters cover different aspects of um, these subjects that we've been discussing. These sort of pillars: guilt, grace, and gratitude. So the confession is sort of broken up in that way, um, following uh, the Apostles' Creed in, in some sense. But guilt, grace, and gratitude. And so we're in chapter five. Again, considering uh, man's redemption. So we're in this section dealing with the redemption of man, the, the, the grace, um, and looking specifically at God, the Holy Spirit, as we look at questions 56 through 58. Um, 56, I'll read it and then I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack a bit just to explain what, we're, what we'll be looking at here. But question 56 says, what comfort do we have by the resurrection of the flesh? And the answer that not only my soul, after it shall depart out of my body, shall presently be taken up to Christ, but that my flesh also, being raised up from the power or by the power of Christ, shall again be united to my soul and made like the glorious body of Christ. So we're considering here um, the resurrection of our bodies. Now, the first thing about this section or this question that stood out to me is the fact that in the catechism, it's placed under this section of the Holy Spirit. Going back a couple of questions, the communion of the saints is placed under the category of man's redemption, God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the scripture says that our union with one another and Christ is sealed to us for us by the Holy Spirit of God, by whom, again, we are sealed for the day of redemption, scripture says. The fact that our sins are forgiven, it, it's a judicial act of God declaring the sinner not guilty, yet this is applied to the life of the Christian by God the Holy Spirit, who applies the wealth of uh, the righteous life of Christ to our negative sinful account. And in this section, and specifically this question, we consider the comfort and hope that Christians have of the resurrection of our mortal bodies. How, how often do you think about the resurrection of your, your bodies? Is that something that's on your mind a lot? Is it something that maybe you don't think about so much? Do you think that's a common thought? What do you think, Norm? <laughs> yeah, yes, right? So affliction, ailments tend to cause us to think about the, the resurrection of our bodies. What, what else? Being Any, pregnant. Being pregnant, okay, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep. I, I would say uh, my sin, like how is it going to hmm. be, you know, to not sin, just like to, it's just hard because it's so simple. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, important, that's what I was thinking about that. Yeah, that yep, and the age to come, uh, sinless, yep. uh, sinless bodies, affections, our mind, our wills. Um, yeah, it's it hasn't even entered into the minds of men. Yep. Yeah. So, thinking about the resurrection of our bodies, circumstances, ailments, pregnancy, different things happen in our lives that cause us to think about it more. But this question is wanting us to consider Christ's resurrection and how the resurrection of Christ is the ground of our resurrection and the resurrection of our mortal bodies. <clears throat> Romans eight eleven. 
It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the resurrection of our mortal bodies grounded in Christ, um, but powerfully worked by the Holy Spirit. Um, Every aspect of the Christian's life, every aspect of our redemption, including the resurrection of our bodies, is a Trinitarian work of God. The identity of the Christian is so connected with the life of Christ that his resurrection is seen as our resurrection. He is the first fruits of what we will be, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 23. The spirit who raised him will raise you, will raise us. So thinking about this first question again. Um, so we have a, quite a bit of content to get through. I, th- I heard studies say that like people only retain maybe 10% of what you say. So we'll just pray that the 10% that you do retain, the Lord will use to encourage you. But as I go through, um, I'm going to try and be paced, but we do have a, a lot of content to get through, which is why you have the note sheet. Uh, the questions and the verses are there as I, as I work through them, and then I'll ask you guys to read here and there. So thinking about this first question, question 56, what comfort do you have by the resurrection of the flesh? So resurrection assumes what? Death, death right? Resurrection assumes death. And death assumes the separation of the soul from the body. But the answer here assumes, one, that we have souls, and two, that our souls will go to God after death. Now, we can maybe start by asking, what is a soul? Right? This isn't a a philosophy class, but we want to think about this question. What is a soul? The answer to this question can be summarized by saying, that the human soul is the part of a person that is non-physical. Again, that's a very base sort of definition. Um, Spirit and soul seem to be used interchangeably in scripture. Let me have someone read Luke 23, 46 in your notes. Right, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Matthew 10, 28, someone can read that for us. Okay. Now, I, I don't believe that these are talking about two different parts of the body. Historically, that, that has been debated. There are several different views on the topic of the body, soul, spirit distinction. But... Um, I won't go into the details of all of that. Our confession does, however, seem to understand the nature of man as body and soul. Um, Looking at uh, chapter four, paragraph two um, on creation in the 1689, there in your notes, it says, after God had made all the other creatures, he created humanity. He made them male and female with rational and immortal souls, thereby making them suited to life, live, unto God for which they were created. This, uh, that, that line, um, of rational and immortal souls, uh, references Genesis 2-7, which says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, again, I don't want to necessarily get caught in the weeds here, but I do want to explore 
the soul from a historical perspective just a little bit. The historical views on the origin of the soul is very interesting reading. Um, and just a sort of quick survey here, I'm going to work through three primary, primary views of the soul. Uh, I get this from Louis Burkhoff in his Systematic Theology. He gives a survey of these views. Um, one view believed in the pre-existence and transmigration of the soul. This view is called pre-existentianism. Hard word. <laughs> this is the theory that man's soul existed in a previous state and certain occurrences uh, that, that, that happened in the previous state of that soul may be the reason for the conditions that the soul is in now. Two other views are, are more, more popular, but that's the pre-existence of the soul. Advocates of that view were Plato and, and Origen. Um, uh, there's another view called Tranducianism. In this theory, the souls of men are propagated along with the body by childbirth. In other words, the souls are transmitted to children by their parents. As parents come together to create a child, along with the body, in the same way comes the soul. So advocates of that view, the Western Church or the Roman Catholic Church, Tertullian, Gregory of Nyssa, and Martin Luther. Um, the last view, the last popular view, view was creationism. This is the view that each individual soul is in an immediate creation of God. In other words, God created a new soul at the birth of every individual, although the timing, the precise timing of that creation of the soul can't be pinpointed. Um, advocates of this view, uh, this was a, a dominant view in the Eastern Church, Jerome and, and Hillary um, held to, to, to this view. Now there's a lot more that could be said and read about this, this topic. If you're interested, you can, you can read more. I like reading church history, so it's, it's always interesting to me. Um, but back to our question of, of the soul here, and I, I wish my kids were, were here. This would be a good opportunity to sharpen them on the catechism questions. But in the uh, Westminster Children's Catechism, question 18 asks, what did God give Adam and Eve besides bodies? Answer, he gave them a soul that will last forever. Question 19. Kiddos. We got some kiddos here. I'm, I'm going to ask your kids. Do you have a soul as well as a body? <laughs> you just laughed. <laughs> yes. They know it. Our kids never perform on the spot. <laughs> Everybody's watching. <laughs> yes. And my soul will last forever. Now, let's look at a, a few verses here. Uh, someone read Matthew 10, 28. Who wants to read that for us? Oh, and then the next verse. May I have that right? Okay. <clears throat> now this verse affirms the immortality of the soul. God made us with souls that will last forever. Now, negatively, this verse affirms the destruction of the soul. It isn't just annihilation, sort of um, going out of existence. 
but rather a punishment endured under the presence of God's wrath or his righteous judgment. Uh, Positively, Scripture tells us that the child of God should be of good courage. To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8. But not only our souls, but our physical bodies will be raised up again. Now, you see this both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see sort of this, this hope spoken. Um, Job 19, 25 to 26 says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will, he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. And then John six forty. let me have someone read that for us. Okay, and then 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17. So, again, the resurrection of Christ as the foundation of our new life as redeemed sinners. Um, Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was raised for our justification. And our resurrection unto life is the proof that he has been raised and that God was satisfied with the righteous life of Christ. His sinless death, his glorious resurrection, all of these things are affirmations, proofs that we will be raised in him. Um, <clears throat> let me have someone read in the, the note sheet there. Uh, it says chapter 31, the state of humanity after death and the resurrection from the dead. That's from the 1689. Read that, that little paragraph there. Thank you. Now, we affirm that those who died in Christ will again be united to their souls and made like the glorious body of Christ. Um, sometimes my, my kids will, will ask, just kids say the darnest things. So they ask a, a lot of interesting questions. But they'll ask, well, what will people be like when they're raised? They've asked us this, this question before as we talk about this subject. What will people be like when they're raised? And, you know, as a parent, you want to give an answer, but you don't always have a, a clear answer. But what we do know, and this is how I, I answered them, we don't know exactly, but we can look at the Lord, our Lord, and what he was like. Jesus appeared to Mary after his resurrection. He appeared to his disciples on the beach, and he ate with them, it says in John 21. 
And it says, now one of the disciples dared ask him, or rather none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, it says in John 21. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. Now, whatever can be said about these verses, it's clear that people recognized who Jesus was, right? So he wasn't much older, this old person that they couldn't recognize. He wasn't this young child that they couldn't recognize, but they recognized, they didn't ask him who he was. Oh, it's, it's Jesus. So there's a clue, uh, some hint in that, that um, Jesus looked like what he looked before his, his resurrection. <clears throat> um, we don't know what our glorified bodies will look like, but we do know whatever condition they are in, it will be perfect and glorious, whatever, whatever that is. Um, 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You know, you can just in your imagination try to wonder and speculate about what that will be. Well, is it, is it the height of my, the, the peak of my health as an adult? Is it, you know, it's whatever. Will, will I look the same? Will, will I have a beard? I, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Um, but it is interesting that they recognize Jesus and, I, and he had a beard. So I don't know. <laughs> But you can let your mind wander with, with all of these things and some wander into, you know, wrong places. But um, it is it's a mystery and it's sort of fun to, to, to think about the glory of our bodies um, and the height of glorified, perfectly healthy, whole bodies that have perfect fellowship with God. That is something to look forward to. And all the mystery, that is something to look forward to. <clears throat> Now, um, going to the uh, next question here, question 57. Let me have someone read the question and the answer there. Question 57 in the uh, catechism. What comfort do you take uh, from the article of everlasting life? Answer, that for as so much as I feel already in my heart the beginning of everlasting life, it shall at length come to pass that after this life I shall enjoy full and perfect bliss, wherein I may magnify God forever, which blessedness surely neither eye has seen nor ear heard, neither has any man in thought conceived it. Oh, thank you. There was something I wanted to mention. Sorry, I'm going to step back to question 56. Um, when you think about church history and the martyrs throughout the church um, in this age, that there are there are gruesome things that, that happened, of course. And um, on the side of the Christian, the, the believer, that whatever um, ailments that we feel, whatever uh, martyrdoms that believers have, have experienced, um, you know, some blown to pieces, that God will uh, powerfully uh, reconstruct their bodies um, to experience the glory of God um, in the age to come and that perfect fellowship. Negatively, you have um, you know, unbelievers who, in the name of their sort of religion and worldview, destroy themselves, um, assuming that this is the best way for them to please their, 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 their deity. 
God will powerfully reconstruct their bodies for them to endure uh, the righteous judgment of God for the rest of uh, eternity. Um, God is creator of, of, of all things. The believer doesn't have to uh, worry that some, something that they struggle with throughout their whole life will be a reality in heaven. Um, and the unbeliever should have dread that uh, whatever they struggled with in this life uh, won't even scratch the surface of what they will endure in, in eternity. Uh, but I say that to, to show the power of our God and King. Um, he is able to, to, to reconstruct. He is able to, to rebuild and to, um, in the end, cause the believer to enjoy everlasting life in him. Um, just a, a, a thought I had that I wanted to, to mention. Um, there, there is both great encouragement and great warning. Uh, encouragement to the believer and warning to the unbeliever. <clears throat> okay, question 57. Now, question 57, as much of the um, catechism, uh, is built upon the Apostles' Creed. Um, in the Apostles' Creed, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. This is just the, the last section there. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic meaning universal, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the everlasting life. Amen, or life everlasting. Now, in his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, the cousin of an Orthodox Catechism, Eusinus says that the article of everlasting life, he says, is the effect of all the other articles, for it is on account of this that all the preceding articles are believed, and that the things which we believe in the others were done in order that we might believe this one and so enjoy eternal life. Um, all of this is uh, leading unto the enjoyment of eternal life. So here's another question for you. What is eternal life? How would you answer that? If your neighbor or a child asked you, what is eternal life? What would you say? I got something back here. One of the kids are... <laughs> How would you answer that? What is eternal life? <clears throat> Just in a very simple way. What's the first thing that comes to mind? All right, John uh, 17, 3. This is eternal life. That okay. you shall know uh, the Father and whom you send the Son, Jesus Christ. Yes. You stole my thunder. That was in my notes. Let me get something else. <laughs> We're going to come back to that. But yes. Yeah, don't be bashful. That's, yeah, that's, a, that, that's what Scripture says. What else? <clears throat> well, what have you heard people um, how have you heard people describe eternal life, whether good or bad? What's that? Pearly gates. Pearly gates, okay. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. What else? Hmm. Yeah. So there's a, I think it's called like neoplasia somewhere. Yeah. You know, the view that will be just disembodied spirits yep. floating around in the clouds. Yep. Um, and that does a humongous disservice to what mm. the truth actually is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It takes well said. A lot of our courage. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. Yep. What else?
Well, I'm sure there are a ton of uh, views on, on eternal life and what it is and what it is not. I've heard my own share and have my own thoughts about what, what eternal life is. But what we, what we can say, getting to your point, Anthony, there, the spring of eternal life is ultimately perfect fellowship with God. Um, that is the goal, right? That is the, when we think about, you know, the, the eschaton or eschatology, which is in things, it's not just in things, but it is, you know, in things, looking to that, that, that great end. Um, it's fellowship with God. All of this <laughs> is bringing us into perfect fellowship with God. Um, new bodies is wonderful. That, that's a part of our being able to enjoy fellowship with God. Not having to deal with sin. Uh, it's wonderful. It's so that we would enjoy fellowship with God. Um, everything that we can think about, all the goodness of the age to come, is for the end of fellowship with our triune God. Uh, John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and I will come to him, and, and, and rather we will come to him and make our home with him. So the Spirit of God indwelling the people of God and bringing us into perfect obedience and perfect knowledge of God is the end goal. Um, and it's not exhaustive knowledge of God, but perfect knowledge of God, right? God is incomprehensible. So the mystery of God's infinitude is what makes heaven so glorious. That, that's, a, that's a part of the, the glory of heaven. John Newton, in that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, he writes these words. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise. How does that end? Than when we first begun, right? Because God is eternal, his love is bottomless, right? Before modern te technological advances, um, boats and, and, uh, and sailors and mariners, uh, they would have to uh, measure their depth in a body of water by using a weighted rope, and they would count it by fathoms, right? 20 fathoms, 18 fathoms, that they knew they were sort of coming to, to, to the shore. We use that language. We, we say that God is, uh, he's unfathomable. He's without bottom, right? God's love is without bottom. Uh, in the age to come, we will enjoy the glory of God, uh, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. It's, it's, it's bottomless. This is what the believer will enjoy. This is why I think, you know, John Newton had it right. Um, being there 10,000 years, right, uses this, this language. Um, we will be no uh, closer to uh, reaching the, the bottom of God's love for us or his knowledge. Um, that mystery is a part of the enjoyment of the believer in the age to come. <clears throat> we'll spend the rest of eternity um, enjoying in uh, full capacity, though. So it's not like um, we'll have a cup and we're only experiencing, you know, two thirds of the fullness of, of God. Somehow in the mystery, it's the fullness of God, yet not the bottom of the fullness of God. It's just really interesting to, to, to think about. But all of this, the believer will enjoy. By the mercies of God, we do, however, get to taste this already. 
2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 3. For we know that if the tent that are that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. If you put on a sort of, uh, if, if you put up parentheses around what, what Paul says here, if you put a parentheses around not made with hands in this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 3, um, and remove it, it says, we have a building from God eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan. Our, our groaning in this tent is the longing for the heavenly tent, so to speak. Um, this is called a tent because it's not the house, right? So we don't go uh, camping. I've, I've never been camping, uh, but <laughs> I imagine what it's like. I've seen movies. We, we don't go camping in, in a tent and treat the tent like the home. We don't set up shop in the tent as if it's the home. In a sense, this is, Scripture says this is our, our tent. We're awaiting we're waiting our heavenly home, the fullness of what we are not able to enjoy in fullness here because of our bodies, because of sin, because of corruption. Um, we long for the house. We've been given a taste of heaven by virtue of our union with Christ and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we already experience uh, some of what this will be. Um, even Jesus, when he's casting out demons and he's healing the sick and raising the dead, he's um, the, the age to come is breaking into this current age. He's saying that that will this is what that will be like. Um, the, the, the resurrection of the dead, um, that the healing of the body, of, of the mind, that the casting out of demons, all of these things, they're arrows that point to the age to come. And so we, we do get to experience this now. The fact that the believer can say no to sin um, and deny you know, their sinful affections is a blessing of the age to come that Christ has purchased for us. We've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We get to experience this now. Um, all of these things have been purchased for us by Christ and are pointers to that, that great day. Uh, John 1.18, or rather James 1.18 says, we are the first fruits of his creatures. In other words, we are the first fruits of the new creation. Ephesians 4.24 says, uh, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The believer, the redeemed Christian, is the first fruits of the new creation. Um, we have the privilege of being uh, the first fruits after Christ of what the age to come will be like. <clears throat> At the same time, uh, we have yet to experience the fullness of what that will be. Um, Romans 8.23 says, We are eagerly waiting for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, as we think about this subject of eternal life and the age now and the age to come, um, the a question I want to ask, and I'm, the, the answer is pretty simple, but to whom does eternal life belong? Who receives eternal life? What's your simple answer to that? Come on, George, I see you. You got something. <laughs> who, 
Who receives eternal life? To whom does, it, does eternal life belong? What's that? Elect. To the elect. <laughs> He's like, is that right? <laughs> yes. This, uh, the the answer is on the surface. The Christian. <laughs> the Christian receives eternal life. This eternal life belongs to all those whom have faith in Christ. So Christ is the door. Faith is uh, the gifted and granted means through which we take possession of eternal life. Now, this is important. I, I know that can maybe seem like a silly question, but we live in a time where um, people are they, they're, they're using language like this to talk about things that uh, the Bible doesn't speak about. They're misapplying um, this language and saying that, yes, well, we can, in some sense, have this um, the, the, the height of our being, sort of being the best you that you can be and experiencing the height of um, what our, our, our creation by these other, other means. But the Bible talks about eternal life as through the one way, not, not multiple ways, not a little of this, a little of that, and you make a concoction that leads to eternal life. But one way, Christ is the door and faith is the means. John 6, 67 to 68, it says, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. <clears throat> Eliminating all other possibilities uh, besides the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go to question uh, 58. Let me have someone read the question and answer to 58. What profit is there to you when you believe all things? Answer that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. Okay. So this takes us back to the beginning of the class this morning. The fact that our sins are forgiven is a judicial act of God to declare the sinner not guilty. Yet, this is applied to the life of the believer by God, the Holy Spirit, who applies the righteous life of Christ to our negative sinful account. Now, as I was writing this, I had to stop and say to myself, Lord, help me to feel and believe this, that Christ's righteousness is my own. Uh, this is probably, I would say, the struggle of the Christian when we have days where we wrestle with sin or weeks where we just feel you know, and maybe ensnared in some, some sin and we, we lay our head on the pillow at night and we question, man, am I saved? Am I a believer? If I was a Christian, would I be thinking this or saying this or doing this? And I think at those moments, for those who are truly saved, what we're, we're struggling with confusing the, our sanctification with our justification. Because our justification doesn't wax and wane. It is a declaration of the sinner as not guilty. No matter what happens, no matter what sin you struggle with, it is for the elect, for the believer, it is a declaration of not guilty. Now, our sanctification, of course, we have weeks where we feel um, you know, maybe more obedient or that we've been, you know, walking with the Lord in a way where we have a clear conscience and we don't struggle in these areas or whatever it is. And we do ebb and flow there. But 
we have to remember that we have been declared righteous and that does not change. Our mood doesn't change it. You know, how we feel that hour doesn't, doesn't change it. Um, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Someone read John 3.36 and then someone else go to um, Romans 3.28. So first, let me have someone read John 3.36. So if you believe eternal life has been given to you uh, as your possession, right? <clears throat> the rights to the enjoyment of eternal life have been granted to you by our triune God. Again, you may not feel righteous in your progressive uh, sanctification, but you have been declared positionally righteous. And then uh, Romans 3.24, who wants to read that for us? And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. The justification by his grace as a gift through what? The redemption that is in, not your performance, the redemption that is in, not how, how you feel that day, but the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, <clears throat> it's not grounded in sincerity or, or anything like that. It's grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Arnie will cover more of this next week. But if sin can be uh, defined as a lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God, then righteousness can be defined as conformity with and obedience to God's divine law. And of course, we have not earned such righteousness. But the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from our perfect conformity to the law by faith in Christ Jesus, perfect conformity to the law. And in that, the Christian is able to uphold the law, the scripture says. Um, let's, uh, I'm going to close out here by reading Romans 3, 21 to 28. Actually, I'm going to have one of you read it for us. Romans 3, 21 to 28. Who can read that for us nice and loud so that everybody can hear? George? Righteousness of God through faith. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all the world. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed anger former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And what becomes of our boasting? It is, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> That's a good passage to memorize. Um, just again, the, the reminder, the affirmation, the truth that uh, the Christian is declared righteous on the basis of another, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about this 
these questions that talk about eternal life, uh, the resurrection of our mortal bodies, um, union with Christ and what he's purchased for us. All these things are moving us to that great end of perfect fellowship with God, sinless fellowship with God and with with one another. Um, when you think about the, the struggles and the afflictions that 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 taunt and taint our relationships with with one another, sin and all these things, all of that will be done away with as well. And we'll have perfect fellowship with with one another. Uh, marriage uh, will, 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 will sort of disappear uh, in, in that great uh, marriage between Christ and his bride. Um, all of these things find their end in our fellowship with, with God. But today, now, this morning, uh, Christian, uh, you are united to Christ and are justified by his righteousness alone. Uh, pray that that uh, continues to capture your heart um, as we do revel in the mystery of what the age to come will, will be like. It's a, it's a wonderful uh, thing to meditate on, and we need it. So let me pray for us, and you guys will be dismissed, okay? Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, we, we thank you, Father, for uh, predestining a people unto eternal life in, in that covenant of uh, redemption and complete agreement and joy with the Son um, who would come to die for the sins of the elect, um, that we may be presented spotless and blameless um, as the Spirit applies the righteous life of Christ to our sinful accounts and gives Christ um, an, an, an accounting of our sinful life that he may be punished in our place, although he was without sin. Lord, we, we, we give you thanks for these things. I pray that we would continue to meditate on this truth, be encouraged by it, even now as we go into the service to hear the word preached, to hear the word read and prayed. And as we sing together, that we would be reminded that it is a privilege to be gathered as the people of God, to hear the words of God. Um, and may you continue to capture our affections with your truth, that we would worship you rightly as is our duty and our delight. In Christ's name, amen.